Around Comics, Episode 11. for listening to another episode of Around Comics, where every week we assemble a new panel to discuss topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Neesman, and as always, I am joined by my partner in crime and the producer of the show, Brian Salazar. Hello. Our next guest is a longtime friend of the show and the artist of Scar Tissue. He is Dave Wachter. It's good to be here. And our last panelist today is also a longtime friend of the show from Putnam Valley, New York. He is David Price. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the show, and welcome to Around Comics. If you've been listening to Around Comics for the last month, you'll know that we just finished our four-week look at the world of comics. I know that Sal and I are both relieved to have that done and ready to get on to our topical discussions. This week, we are talking about conventions. Convention season is now upon us, and it seems like there is a new convention that crops up every week coming to a town near you. We will start today with Dave Wachter. Dave, you are not just a convention goer, you are an exhibitor because of scar tissue. Can you tell us uh, a few of your favorite conventions around the country, and what type of hoops you have to jump through to be an exhibitor? Um, well, I'll start with my favorite conventions, I guess. Uh, well, each one is different, really. I really liked uh, Philly last year. Uh, Wizard World Philly was a nice show, medium-sized show. Um, I like ones where you were able to, you know, get around and talk to people. San Diego is nice just because it's so massively huge and insane. Um, it is the show of shows, at least in North America, and it takes, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's gigantic. I mean, it would take me 45 minutes to go from one side of the hall to the other, and it's just crammed with people. Uh, Chicago, of course, the hometown show is nice. I like that one. It's pretty big, but it's still, I think, small enough for you to be able to get around and talk and chat and get to see what's going on there. Now, from the standpoint of an exhibitor, what do you have to do to become an exhibitor? Uh, well, first, you have to have something in which to exhibit. So you have to have a book that you're working on um, and or be a part of a studio or, or working for a studio or something of that sort uh, then basically you just have to apply uh, send in your application and your money and that's it most of the big thing is the money as long as they get the <laughs> money I think they're pretty happy you can show jelly beans as long as they you're paying for it yeah pretty much I, <laughs> I think as long as you got the dough then you got the space now, what uh, what's the difference in your opinion between shows on the East Coast as opposed to West Coast shows? Because you've done you've done both, right? Um, I did. I just did the Wizard World LA for the first time this year uh, last month, and I've done San Diego, um, and then I did Philly on the East Coast. And I'd have to say that the difference is the weather. <laughs> the, the West Coast is just, you know, coming from Chicago and going uh, to the West Coast, going from 30 degrees to like 65 degrees. That's the big difference there. As for the mood and the tone of the shows, um, on the West Coast, you're going to have a lot more of the movie people there. You're going to have, at L.A., we must have had five or six people in one day come up to us talking about optioning the story. And that's something you will not have on the East Coast. 
So how much did you sell the option to scar tissue for? Uh, we haven't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's go on to some of the things that we like about shows. Um, Sal, we've gone to conventions together, and I know that you love going. What is your favorite part about going to a comic convention? Well, um, probably my favorite part is is the panels. I uh, I really enjoy sitting in on the creator panels, and, and not like the big, uh, you know, DC or Marvel, you know, Cup of Joe kind of panels, that kind of thing. I mean, those are fun and entertaining, but really like the creator panels where they're they're either talking about, you know, the creation process, writing, drawing, that kind of thing. Um, I find that the most enjoyable, just sort of get a, a inside look at um, that process and, and, you know, true professionals that are doing it. For, for someone like me, I, I mean, I'm just a you know, horrible amateur at it, but it's it's entertaining nonetheless. And to uh, to sort of be in a room with guys that you you know whose art you like or whose writing you like, and and listening to them tell you about uh, how they go about the craft or, or giving you tips or, or that kind of thing to me is is pretty cool. Well, I know that one of the panels that we went to last year was the creators panel, which was originally going to be a uh, Brian Michael Bendis standalone panel, but he asked Paul Jenkins and Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker to join him on that panel, and that was, without a doubt, one of my favorite parts of last year's Wizard World Chicago. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You're sitting in a room with, with those guys, and, you know, there's what, 30 people in that room and they're just sitting there talking you know talking about what they do and how they do it and and that's you know if you're a fan of of their work or just you know in the creation process it's it's certainly um something you don't really get a chance to do anywhere else absolutely one of my other favorite parts of going to a convention besides the panels is going through artist alley now, most conventions will have an artist alley, and while I, I love going into panels and being a part of a, a larger group that can ask questions to a panel, I love artist alley because you get a lot of one-on-one FaceTime with creators from really all over comics, whether it is a, a small independent artist or someone like, you know, last year we met Andy Parks and Phil Hester in artist alley, and that was uh, an incredible time. Now, Dave uh, Walker, I know that you usually set up in Artist Alley. Uh, what is the mood of Artist Alley in most conventions? The mood? <laughs> uh, optimistically hopeful. Uh, you know, in, in Artist Alley, you now you get, you've really got two kinds of people uh, exhibiting in Artist Alley. One is you have just artists there who are doing drawings, selling their drawings, doing sketches and commissions and things like that, and aren't necessarily... Um, you know, they're just about their name. They're not tied to a book. Then you have a whole other section of Artist Alley, which I think Wizard is trying to get sort of rid of, and that's a lot of the small press people will be actually there in Artist Alley uh, trying to sell their book. And that's, um, yeah, about, I'd say about two-thirds of the time I'm in Artist Alley, uh, some, you know, Wizard World LA, San Diego, we were we had our own booth. Um so Artist Alley is a lot of fun. I mean, that's it seems like that's that's the more fun place to be uh, when you're going around in a convention rather than going to booze. Uh, it just feels like you know, people are a little more approachable there, and you can just you know stand around and shoot the bull. Go ahead, Sal. You had a point. Well, I was going to say you had said that you think that Marvel seems to be trying to get rid of the small press oh, wizard, guys. Yeah. 
or I'm sorry, wizard. Um, why do you feel that way? Uh, because they have made, especially this year, they have made changes um, to the uh, the uh, requirements of what you can do in Artist Alley. Um, you know, if you guys remember you in Chicago last year, Ronan had like six, seven tables right in a row, mm-hmm. all with red tablecloths, the big Ronan banners, and we were all there with all of our, a ton of, diff- you know, 45 books about, and spread over all those tables. Uh, now, um, we're not allowed to have more than one table. Wow. You can only have w- up to one eight-foot table. The best you can do is ask to be uh, next to somebody, but there's no actual formal way of doing that. So really, you've got one table. So that way, from a from a trade show perspective, which is that that's basically what it is for Ronan. It, it's a trade show. Mm-hmm. You're you're there in the trade, showing off your wares. You can't plan to set up a booth that is. You know, sixty feet long, set out all of the Ronin properties with, you know, environmental graphics, all that stuff. You really just kind of have to hope for the best. Right. Yeah. I don't know if uh, if it was due to Ronin specifically because we had so many tables at Chicago, or if they've started noticing uh, other people doing this. But I think they're trying to push um, us into getting a full size booth. You know, so in, in which would be really tough for Ronan, especially in Chicago, when you've got you know dozens of books and you've got it, you still only got one table. You get one eight foot table at a ten foot by ten foot booth. You're just paying three times as much. Well, that, well, well to be to fair buy. though, I mean that you know, if you think of it from small press, I mean Ronan's not a single small press, you know, creator or indie creator, and 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 Ronan, you know, is a studio. And so you're taking up, you know, eight tables in Artist Alley, and the guy sitting next to you who's just, you know, his independent creator doing his book, I mean, to be fair, I, I don't know that I, I, I can necessarily disagree with Wizard. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't seem like that's that awful of a thing, and I can understand their point of view. As much as I like the Ronin table and, and it, the huge presence you guys had... It may be a bit unfair to other people that are there that aren't taking up eight tables. Well, I don't really see that because you know everybody's paying for their table, and it is you know, um, you know there is like a couple dozen of us, and so you know, in essence, we're all sort of taking up our own little tables. I mean, I had half a table in Artist Alley. We just happened to uh, throw up the same banner on each table, so I really don't see. The, the difference other than that wizard is seeing a missed opportunity to make um, at what $850 on a booth uh, rather than have all those tables but really I mean um, you know we're not cramming anybody out uh, there always seems to be room in artist alley and every show I uh, most of these shows I go to there's always um, uh, at least a few empty tables in artist alley now that's certainly so, true enough and and hmm. It is sort of interesting that they're they're doing anything in that regards to try and limit people. So, well, yes. w- without without getting off topic too much, I I think that you know the whole idea between Ronan was to leverage a a group of creators that would normally be operating completely independent, and you leverage the the group to create more of a presence, and that comes in you know more and more in conventions than you know almost anything else.
AroundComics.com, your source for discussion, news, and reviews about your favorite comics and creators. New podcasts available every Monday. Go to www.AroundComics.com. Uh, I want to move on a little bit here. Uh, one of our guests today, David Price, has admittedly been out of the convention circle for quite a few years. So I'm going to ask David, what? because um, I know that you're planning on going to some, some more conventions this year, what are you looking for? What do you want to see in conventions this year? Oh, I enjoy, I, I do enjoy the fact that I basically, if I were to go to a convention a year ago, I'd I'd feel like one person just in a sea of, of other people that are all there for the same reason. Over the past year, I've I've made friends physically and, and virtually th- through the forums, through other podcasts, and, and I know that I, I won't feel as alone. I, I tend not to be real thrilled with, with crowds regardless of what brought them all together. Um, but I'd like it to be easily accessible for me to get to. I'd like the price to uh, to be affordable to me, not just to attend the show, but to also make sure I can leave with, with, with some items. Um, but I would probably go just to be able to meet the, the creators. I, I can I can get comics at my LCS or, 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 or online, so I really wouldn't need to, to buy comic books at the show. I would go for the art. I would go for, for to meet the artists and the writers and, and at least get a feel for the person behind the page. Well, I, I totally agree with you there. And Sal and I had talked about this earlier in the week, that one of the things that we really love about conventions is that whenever you walk in there, you're it, it sounds really geeky, but you're kind of around your people. It, it's a chance that, you know, for a lot of people, once or twice a year to go in and you are around literally thousands of comic fans. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes it a... A very easy way to strike up conversations. You know, if you're waiting in line to get something autographed or to see a creator or you know get uh, an exclusive for a show, you know, it's very easy to talk to people. And that's you know once or twice a year that you really get to do that in the comics world. So how often do you get to actually see you know people dressed up in costumes and <laughs> you know, black Superman and uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> All sorts of craziness. I mean, that's the other part that is the fun part of the show is 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 just the sort of insanity that you know. It, it, a lot of people, it seems like this is their one sort of outlet for their you know comic book hobby, and and they can go there and and be comfortable no matter what, and do whatever they want to do, and and if they want to dress up or whatever they want to wear, that they don't have to worry about being judged because like it or not, you know. Uh, it's, comics it's the one time, yeah, it's the one time of year that they get to get their money's worth out of that ridiculously expensive Halloween costume. <laughs> there you go. No, that's true. <laughs> um, some other things that is a big draw for uh, convention goers is the the retailer aspect of conventions. Now, I know that there are a lot of uh, just independent local comic shops that 
a tremendous amount of their yearly income is based on what they're able to sell in conventions. And that is a totally different side of the convention world. That's the home of the dollar, 50 cent, and 25 cent bins. Uh, of, uh, of any of uh, our panel here, uh, do you really go to conventions to score those, those great deals and fill out your conventions with those 25 cent issues? Um, Sal, you? I don't spend a, a, a huge amount of time trying to, you know, find deals. I, I mean, I, I generally have a certain budget that I'll bring, and a lot of times I end up spending that on indie books and stuff that I wouldn't see anywhere else, and the guys in Artist Alley that are, you know, trying to, you know, sell their books, that kind of thing, because I figure, you know, they're not going to have much opportunity for me to ever buy it anywhere else. I mean, they're, they're, you know, most of those guys are. You're not going to see their stuff in in Diamond and and at your LCS maybe, but rarely. So, I, I don't spend a ton of time going into quarter bin or you know or dollar books. I, if there's certain things that I'm looking for to complete a collection or you know there's something I'm interested in, I mean, it, I definitely will go there to find deals because you can, um, but. Generally, it's not you know what I spend a ton of my time at a convention doing. Yeah, I know that that you and I are the same, and that as we've gotten a little bit older, we're actually trying to scale our collections down and not fill in a lot of uh, blank spaces. But as far as going through and finding indie books that may not be available, you know, in your local comic shop or through Diamond, I'm going to throw this over to Dave because that's a large part of what he does. It's uh, he spends his days at conventions trying to convince people that it's worth it to buy scar tissue. What's it like for you to? have to pitch your book um, well imagine a bunch of people who uh, come creators who aren't uh, you know used to conversing and talking with people in the real world because they're usually hunched behind a computer or over a drawing board suddenly have to go out for a weekend and become a carnival barker <laughs> Uh, essentially you have to find you know you have to f you have to find some sort of um, way to put yourself you really are putting yourself out there and you have to figure out a way to balance it in a way so that you're not obnoxious but also so that you're getting people to come over to your table and taking a look at your wares because really that's the hardest thing is not to sell the hardest thing is getting them to stop at your table and just take a look and sometimes you have to be uh, a little bit obnoxious about it just to get them to come over and I try to be a very soft sale kind of guy but I notice from both what the people next to me do and when I've done it myself is that the harder you sell it it seems the more successful you are e even though it's obnoxious and I hate it myself but those are the guys who are selling books now, how about you David uh, Price whenever you know you get into the conventions this year are you going to look for you know more of the indie titles and find stuff that you know it, it's one thing to go to a convention and find things that you can dig up at your local comic shop but how much of an interest level do you have in finding things that may otherwise be unavailable I would definitely go and, and, and seek out something that I wouldn't be able to walk into the store and, and just grab I I would use the opportunity big time to uh, seek out something that I wouldn't normally well, not, not not give it a second look to, but now that I actually, instead of flipping through previews or seeing about it and reading about it somewhere else on the forum or online, if I actually have it in my hand and I can flip through it and even talk to the person that created it, I'm I'm all over it. 
I, I can I, I can fill the gaps in my collection later. Exactly, and, and and I agree with that, and I think Sal does to an extent. You know, one of the things about conventions is that you see every level of comic books. You see everything from the you know color copied, hand stapled little core graphic books. They're to, called mini comics. Well, okay, mini comics. <laughs> just, just see, see episode eight, independent comics for more information. Um, but you you really get to see just about anything on the comic scale, from the the hand assembled to the the big time. And you know, one of the things in conventions the last few years is that you have the large uh, scale booths, but Marvel has been noticeably absent. Uh, Sal, uh, going through a few different conventions and noticing that, what's your feeling about Marvel's change in direction and how they present themselves at conventions? Well, you know, this is something you've talked about before, and, and honestly, you know, I haven't noticed it so much, and I think partially because their presence at conventions is so big regardless of their booth size and what i mean by that is that you know they they usually have so many panels and signings and and you know just creators there um it their their booth size is something that i never really took into consideration i guess um so so it's it's not size that matters well hey you know ask my wife she'll probably lie and <laughs> make me feel good but anyway um the thing that i mean a booth you know you have a certain amount of floor space and you try and do your booth up in any business in any industry where you're doing conventions i mean the biggest booths are the usually talked about but not necessarily do the job or do any better than you know the smaller guys i mean you know, going back sort of what, what Dave was talking about, it's not necessarily, you know, how flashy or how big your booth is, but how well you, once you have people in it, what you do with them. Absolutely. And I, I would agree that I didn't notice that Marvel didn't have a, a great presence standalone at last year's Wizard World Chicago because their panels were just overflowing with Marvel talent. And that's I, I got the same you know face to face value with the creators that I would have in a booth, and you know to tell you the truth, I can go to any local comic shop any day of the week and see a huge Marvel section. I don't feel like I need that at a convention to know that they're there. That's yeah, I mean that. I think that's the other thing too. But the one thing you have to keep in mind is this industry, the fan base will you know look for anything to complain about. So I mean, that may be the one hole in the uh, in the armor there for for Marvel is that they're le leaving themselves open to the to the core fan base to wonder and question and go why you know which we love to do but overall sure. it didn't seem to affect I mean it doesn't seem to be affecting them in any way now now uh, David Price you know as we're talking about the Marvel booth if you can imagine walking into a huge convention hall and you see a huge DC booth and a, and a huge image booth and and several you know Dark Horse and Marvel wasn't there. Would that affect your perception of them as a company? A little bit. Um, be, I, I don't think I'd wonder if something was wrong with them because obviously with 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 the movies and the toys, it, sometimes comics with them can be uh, an afterthought. I would probably think that 
they just think they're too good to actually have a booth at the show. No, but what if you walk in and you see on the panel schedule that, you know, from 12 to 1 is Cup of Joe, from 1 to 2 is the Creators Conference with Ed Brubaker and, and Brian Michael Bendis, and from, you know, 3 to 4 is, you know, Marvel Studios 2006. You know, it's... Then I'd wonder where they're, what they're thinking. If do, do panels cost the creators money? Or is that something the convention puts on? I think that's something that the convention... I, I don't know this for a fact, but I would assume that that is a draw for the convention and the studios wouldn't be charged for that. But don't Would they me. get paid? I doubt that. I, I doubt oh, okay. that any convention is paying to have uh, anyone there. Uh, the, the thing that comes into play is that once you have one and once... You, you know, if DC's going to be there, Marvel has to be there. If right. you know what I mean, so I I don't know if it costs them anything. I assume it, it, you know, they're paying travel expenses, they're paying hotels. I don't know that Wizards, you know, covering those costs. But I also don't know if if Marvel and DC or or what level it is that you're paying an uh, an exhibitor's fee. I would imagine. I would. My guess would be that they are paying some sort of fee for that floor space. Um, and depending on the convention, I mean, if it's a Wizard World convention, obviously it's different than WonderCon uh, or Comic-Con. You know, San Diego, I don't think they have any problem filling that convention floor without Marvel or DC, so I'd imagine everyone there is paying something. Um, but then again, you know, I don't know specifically, but I would I would imagine, yes, they are. Well, then I would have a problem with just a panel because if a panel only holds... 300 people or so, and there are thousands of people out on the floor, why should I spend an hour to try to cram into a room where I can hear some news, whereas the booth would have the information just flowing freely? Well, I think we're going to see... I know last year Marvel didn't have a whole lot going on. I mean, I remember when I was in San Diego and everybody was going, where's the Marvel booth? Not me personally, but I know there were a lot of people, (laughs) but I think this year it might be... um, uh, just from what I've seen at the one wizard show I've been to this year, that they may have caught on to that, and they might be having more of a presence. They did have a rather large booth area in Wizard World LA, so maybe that's a sign of them changing. I mean, to me, that's a convention. If 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 you have a booth, that's the whole purpose of for for you to be there is is to have the booth, and so that people can walk up to you and see what you have coming out over the next few months. And and you know, aside from the swag, but just what you could walk away with as far as just information, I think, would be would be worth it alone. You're listening to Around Comics. It's like talking to your best friend's sister, and she's hot. Let's, let's move on to another topic. Uh, one of the favorite things for a lot of convention goers to do at conventions is to get sketches. And these are from creators from all over. And I'll throw this one over to uh, Dave. Convention yeah. sketches. Mm-hmm. What do you charge? What do you think is fair to charge? And do you, as a creator, like doing them? Uh, what do I charge? I um, have been charging ten bucks, um, but I'm doing larger sketches now. I might go up to fifteen, um, and I spend a lot of time on them. I think it's <laughs> not just a headshot. I spend a good half an hour and I do a full body shot, and then I throw in background and, and things like that. Um, I love doing them. I really do. Uh, last summer was the first time I had to go under. It's like 
being on a game show or something, I mean, the lights pop on and suddenly you're on stage and you're used to drawing at your board, at your table all by yourself or on the couch in your sketchbook and suddenly you've got people watching you. Suddenly you've got like a certain amount of time to get it done. And I'm also, I do a lot of my sketching while I stand just so I can continue to talk to people. I don't like that whole where you've got the artist down at the table with their head down in the sheet of paper. I try to be there where I can be face to face with people and talk with people while I'm sketching. Um, so I'm not always thrilled with what I'm able to sketch uh, under those conditions, but I think I'm getting better at it. And um, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the things. It's just like it's being on uh, it's being on stage a bit. What What's the weirdest request that you've ever had for a sketch? I've never really had any of those weird requests so far. Um, I don't think I'm any kind of you know name I guess that people would say ooh I got a weird one from Dave Wachter <laughs> uh, I have heard of some weird ones uh, there is one guy apparently that a lot of people talk about who likes to have female characters covered in glue <laughs> uh, so you know just you know can you do Wonder Woman covered in glue yeah, and nice. uh, so that's his weird little thing and who knows what he's done with it and I'd and I know of people who have turned down, I don't know about that guy, but I know people who have turned down some requests just because people are asking for things that are just, that the artist feels is not nice. Too creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Sal, Sal, what's your favorite convention sketch that you've ever gotten? <laughs> well, I think you know the answer to that. But, <laughs> um, well, last year at Wizard World Chicago, and anyone that's met me for more than five minutes knows this story, so just, you know, turn off your pod, or your iTunes now, and I'll... I'll Get get through it as fast as I can. But um, last year it was real Chicago. After the show, we were there and uh, uh, at the bar for a while and had a few drinks. And there's always creators around. Uh, uh, and we ended up. Um, Chris and I ended up in the bathroom at the uh, hotel. Completely uh, closed. Yes, and there were three gentlemen. There were two gentlemen sitting in the bathroom. There was sort of a lobby in the bathroom. Uh, which is strange, but there was like a little lobby, and they had they had uh, taken a chair and a little coffee table and pulled it in there, and they were sitting there uh, smoking and and just uh, talking and just trying to be, I think, away from the main crowd. And so we s struck up a conversation with them, and then a little while later, um, Tony Moore, the artist from uh, The Walking Dead and now The Exterminators and Fear Agent, he comes strolling in. And uh, we knew Tony. We didn't know who these guys were. It turns out it was uh, Rick Remender and Ivan Brandon from uh, Rick, Rick Remender Writes, Fear Agent, and a bunch of other stuff. And, and uh, Ivan uh, is the writer-artist on New York uh, City Mac. New York New York City Mac. I think he is the artist. Oh, send me hate mail. I think well, he's the artist. So anyway, we were in there for a while, and we were laughing. We were all sort of enjoying each other's company, and in the bathroom, which was strange, but whatever. And uh, after a little while, I had asked Tony uh, if he would um, draw me a sketch. Uh, I figured, you know, it was as good a time as any, and he seemed to, you know, like us, so it was... And he was happy to, and he was... And actually, it was an amazing sketch. He does, he does this... I mean, for like 20, 25 minutes or longer, we're just standing in the bathroom talking, and he's sitting there doing the sketch for me of the zombie, and it, it was just unbelievable. But that wasn't my favorite sketch, because it, about the time he finished, um, and he started on a sketch for Chris, in walked Phil Hester. And 
I, I Phil started walking through the, the crowd of us towards the the urinals, and I yelled out, you know, Phil, can you do a bathroom sketch for me? And being the nice guy that he is, he he turns around, he grabs uh, my pad of paper, and somebody, I think uh, Rick Remender said, hey man, let him take a leak first, and Phil said, oh, don't worry about it, I'll do it at the same time, and proceeded to uh, walk up to the urinal, unzip his pants, and urinate while drawing me a, a sketch of, of Green Arrow. And so that is my all-time favorite uh, favorite convention sketch ever. I don't think that'll ever be beaten. Either. And it, it, and he it did was wash a his damn hands. fine cat. It, it was a damn fine sketch, also. So yes, it was. To Phil. So, and then what what was funny is after Phil finished his sketch, he looked at what Tony Moore was doing, and Tony was honest, Scott, doing like these sketch masterpieces in our Walking Dead trades. And Phil looks at Tony and he goes, "Dude." You have got to learn how to doodle. Yeah, they weren't sketches. I mean, they were finished, penciled art. I mean, they were they were they were not you know sketches by any means. But but then we all got kicked out of the bathroom for being loud and rowdy. <laughs> so uh, David Price, uh, when you go to a convention this year, uh, are you going to be on the lookout for sketches? And if Absolutely. so, what what are you going to be looking for? Um, well, if I can, I I would not be able to leave without getting something for for Renee, my wife, so I'd, I'd probably have to find somebody if if, uh, if Terry Moore isn't there, then I'd have to find somebody that would be able to draw the characters from Strangers in Paradise. Um, I would probably want something along the lines of Batman or, or Green Lantern or, or uh, not, nothing probably what everybody gets, just, just the norm. If, um, if I bump into an artist that... Uh, that I know spends time on a certain character. I don't know if I ask them to stray and and draw something that they don't normally get to draw. But um, but I'll, I'll definitely when if if I do make it to Philly, I will uh, I'll be spending some time around Artist Alley for certain. No, it, it's a great place to go in conventions. It really does round out the entire comic experience there. Let's uh, move on. We, we've talked about some of the things that we really enjoy about conventions, and uh, I'll throw this one Sal's way. What are some of your pet peeves about comic conventions? Well, you know, if the one thing that probably drives me more crazy than anything is, uh, you know, I'm I'm not really a, an autograph hound or, um, you know, I don't generally buy a bunch of sketches i mean if i buy someone's work i'll ask them to sign it or you know do a little sketch if if they will um something like that but i don't usually stand in line to get like a bunch of autographs that kind of thing i i stand in line to either buy something or or um talk to the creator so what drives me nuts is like you'll be standing in line and there'll be some guy in front of you with like 50 copies of the same book and getting them all autographed and you know he's just going to go sell them on ebay or whatever he's you know putting them in his shop or or whatever the thing and it's just like you're standing there for 20 minutes while you know the poor creator has to sit here and sign copy after copy after copy of the same book and it's like you know i mean i understand it and the, and, and the creators are usually really you know generous with that kind of thing because they figure hey the guy went through the trouble to buy him but you know as a fan you're just standing there waiting as you know as you know, Phil Hester signs fifty Green Arrow number ones or something, you know, and it just drives me kind of nuts. So that's probably my biggest pet peeve. 
I, I agree. And, and last year, uh, we met Brian Azzarillo briefly. And I had, before I had gone to the show, I had thrown, you know, probably 10 or 15 books into my backpack. And I was like, these are ones that I would really like to have signed. And I knew that Azzarillo was going to be signing. And so I took, uh, 100 bullets number one and 100 bullets number 50. And I think before we actually got to see him, he had just finished signing 100 bullets one through 50. <laughs> And I just, I, I almost felt guilty asking him to sign two more. It was, it, those creators have to, have to go through is, is nuts with, with the amount of signing, especially with eBay. Um, Dave, you, what are some of your convention pet peeves? Uh, well, I had, uh, in San Diego last year, I had a guy, you know, <laughs> we're there just trying to sell our book and doing everything that we can. I had a guy come up to the table, pick up the book, go page through page, read every page of the book, put it down, picked up issue two, went page through page, read every page of the book, set it down, and walked away. Oh, I'm sorry, Dave. It just, you know, I wasn't going to spend the money on it without reading it first. <laughs> well, I'm also sorry that I had to jab my pen in your throat. <laughs> <laughs> because I came so close to, uh, uh, there were a few things in San Diego. That was one of the things. I almost jumped over the table to him. The other thing is that we were parked next to a booth of Scientologists. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they were selling, you know, the fiction books, but they were Scientologists. They had people filling out the survey and all that kind of stuff. And they would get in front of our booth and stop people in front of our booth. And they would be out in the aisles and they would be, people would actually, they would just assault people as they were coming in, you know, into the row, and then people would avoid them, and they'd just circle right around, and the next three booths would lose all that traffic, and uh, that that was not good. It and should be completely legal to be able to beat up Scientologists. <laughs> and we just lost yeah. a huge segment of our <laughs> listening public. Sorry about Who that. Who needs them? <laughs> <laughs> David, uh, I know I know it's been a while since you've been to a convention, but what are some of your pet peeves about the convention uh, experience? I'm sorry, say that again. What What are some of your pet peeves with conventions? Um, probably the the fans. Well, not not all the fans, but just um, the select few that that are always in front of you when you're ready to talk to a creator or, or, or get that sketch done um, that's just going to sit there and talk the person's ear off and, and get everything that they want to know about that person right then and there um, but uh, it, I try to I, I tend to walk away from from those situations if, if I see that that's what's going to happen then I'll walk away I, I, I try not to um, be annoyed too much by things anymore only because everything's going to annoy me. <laughs> well, I, I would I would agree with the whole common courtesy thing, and that's that's what it is: is being aware that that you're on a convention floor with thousands, sometimes uh, thousands of fans, and in fairly confined quarters. And that leads to my pet peeve, which my girlfriend had made fun of it on the forum a little bit this week. But <laughs> if you know you're going to be in a tight you know, confined quarters with a lot of people. It's called soap. Yeah. <laughs> Before you go to a convention, take a shower, oh, put yeah. on some clean clothes, 
you know, don't reinforce the stereotype of, you know, the the stinky, weird comic book guy. And it's rare. I mean, it's not like it's prevalent. I mean, people talk about it like they're, you know, everyone there. But there is usually, I mean, every time I've gone to a convention, there's usually one or two guys that... It's yeah, it's like, dude, the one guy. That's all it's, it takes. It's it, it's usually hot. It's a confined area. You've been wearing. I mean, you may have been walking around for six or seven hours. So yeah, after a while, I, I guess that. But they do make stronger soap and stronger deodorant for these type of situations. So splurge a little bit, and if if you can't get that comic that you may be looking for because you went and bought some extra strength deodorant, no one's really going to mind. <laughs> and, and, and I will thank you for it. If you walk up to me at a convention this year and say, dude, I bathed and used deodorant, I'll like give you a comic book. Hey, so. maybe we should hand out like a round comic soap bars Oh, wow. at the convention. Round comics soap on a rope. I like it. <laughs> but nobody will use it because they'll think it's a collectible. <laughs> That's true. I'm totally Although I don't know that, idea. that many people will think it's a collectible. Listen to AroundComics.com podcast new every Monday. For once, you won't be lying to your parents when you tell them you're not looking at porn. Let's let's move on to some final thoughts about conventions, and I'll, I'll put Sal on the uh, on the hot seat here. Uh, in a few words, kind of wrap up your feelings about comic book conventions. Well, you know, it, it's an interesting thing. I enjoy them to some degree. I you know, I, I don't know if they're the best thing that the industry can be spending so much time doing um, and I mean that from the perspective of how, you know what people are going to conventions it's it's the same core audience that you've already sold you don't necessarily have to sell these guys on your products you already have and you have for 20 years you go to a convention and you you know you see 25 to 35 to 45 year olds there you don't see that many kids sometimes you do but not not a ton um and it, and it's sort of the same kind of crowd so as as much as i enjoy conventions there's a lot of them and i think that you know companies spend a lot of time and money and effort in in going to these conventions and it's it's great for those fans but once again, you know, me being a, an older, you know, comic book reader, I, I would like to see that much effort put into trying to, you know, get new fans and get kids interested in comics and and trying to not just always sell that core audience that is getting older and older every day. But all in all, I mean, I can't. It's a double-edged sword for me because I enjoy conventions. I like going to them. I like, you know, I have friends there. I enjoy being around people that I know like comics and being able to talk, you know, for 24 hours a day, for three days, out, you know, out of that month, I'm going to be doing nothing but talking about, com- wait, well, I do that all the time, but anyway, <laughs> I'll be able to talk, anyway. you know, <laughs> with other people about comics, and, and um, so I love them, but at the same time, I think there's just, there's a huge e- emphasis every year about conventions, 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 and what are we doing on the other end of it for new people? You know, the convention is not the place that you're going to get new readers. No, it, it shouldn't be the uh, your biggest marketing push of the year. That should be kind of your exclamation point at the end of your of your marketing plan. But uh, we'll move on. Uh, Dave Wachter, your final thoughts on conventions? Uh, yeah, I've never attended a convention purely um, 
as a fan. I first started going to conventions as someone who was exhibiting there. So that's uh, my first experience of it. And and I, I really love them. And I'm glad that the big guys spend a lot of money going to conventions because they draw in um, a lot of people who hopefully come over to uh, our table and then pick up some of the small guys' books. Um, but the things I love the most about it are probably the fact that I get to see... I have a certain group of friends that I call sort of my convention friends. And I see them, uh, you know, maybe once or twice or three times a year, depending on how many shows they get to. And uh, these are other people out there who are, uh, you know, small time in the trenches with me. And we get to go and uh, I get to see them um, when I never get to talk to them. And... Uh, so I, I, you know, have finally a chance to meet up with them and then um, go to nice after parties with a bunch of other people and, you know, rub shoulders with Joe Casada and, and Brian Michael Bendis while I'm chatting it up with the guy who writes JoJo the One-Eyed Dog. And um, also I love seeing a lot of the people that I've met online that I would have never have gotten a chance to meet before, you know, people from the forums like the CGS forum and all the all the kinds of people that, that I really become friends with uh, in the virtual world. You actually get to meet them in the real world. And um, i got to say 99.99% of the time, they've just been fantastic people, and I really enjoy that. All right, uh, David Price, your final thoughts on comic book conventions. Uh, well, I, I guess mostly make it worth my while in the sense that um, I can read... If 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 Joe, I don't see why Joe Quesada needs to be the guest of honor again. If I can read his bullpen moments or go to his form and things like that, because I, I know where to find it. I, I'd rather see them spotlight some lesser known creators, like, like spotlight Ronin Studios for one for one weekend, or or just something like that that would switch it up a little bit. I, I know it's a big show. I know Marvel or DC or Dark Horse are going to have something going on there that might make me want to check out their titles that I'm not already checking out, but make, make it a platform so that somebody else actually gets their time to shine. I agree. My, uh, my final thoughts on conventions are that they are unique in the convention world. I don't think that there's any other medium that is able to put on a convention with the type of atmosphere. Even like a Star Trek convention, you know, there may be a few actors there, some people that were behind the scenes. You look at, you know, a sports convention. Yeah, they can put up a panel of athletes that will do autographs. You look at any other sort of convention. Only a comic book convention has, because of the size of the industry, from small to big creators, are you able to walk onto a convention floor, meet just about anyone you would ever want to, and actually have face-to-face -face time with them? And you throw into the fact that, you know, like Dave said, that now with the internet forums and message boards being such a huge part of what we do as fans, that you can meet people that you've only emailed or responded to on forums, and it the the modern day comic book convention has turned into a meeting place for fans from all over the country and and even all over the world sometimes so it, it's something that i really look forward to uh the once or twice a year that i go to them i hope that they continue and with the 
the great success I've seen in in the ones that I've attended, I, I don't see them going anywhere uh, too soon. So uh, that will wrap up our discussion on comic book conventions. If you have any comments that you would like to send us, please address them to info at aroundcomics.com, and we would love to hear from you. Uh, that means it is time for Wire to Wire Comic News. These are your top headlines for the week of March 27th, 2006. Johnny Repeat kicks off Revolution. Publisher Elizabeth James announced that her new maxi media company, Citizen Press, plans to deliver its first dose of entertainment to the people in July 2006 with the release of Johnny Repeat, a 96-page black-and-white graphic novel. A sprawling mystery woven into an intense human drama packaged into a nonlinear narrative, Johnny Repeat is a story of second chances that debates the eternal question, if you woke up one day in your past remembering everything leading up to the present, would you make a new future? Johnny Repeat will premiere at the San Diego Comic-Con this July with a cover price of $12.95. Brian Wood sells out again. Brian Wood's latest comic venture, Supermarket, his first title with IDW Publishing, has been a smash hit. Issue 1 of the four-part Supermarket debuted in February and was met with wide acclaim by critics and fans alike. The issue quickly sold out, despite the fact that the title's initial orders were overprinted by 30%. Issue 2 has also been sold out through Diamond Distributors. As a result, IDW is going back to press on both issues. As an added bonus, the second printings will each feature a new wraparound cover design, which when combined will make up one large supermarket poster image. Planet Comic Con Cancelled Kansas City's annual Planet Comic Con show will not be held this year due to a scheduling problem. The Overland Park International Trade Center is not available this spring. Planet Comic Con will return to a new trade center space March 17th through 18th in 2007. Hawaiian Dick, director announced. Frank Karasi, director of such fair as The Waterboy and The Wedding Singer, has been announced as the director on the film adaptation of Hawaiian Dick by B. Clay Moore and Stephen Griffin. Johnny Knoxville was at one point attached to Hawaiian Dick, although that is now up in the air. Rex Mundy comes to Dark Horse. Dark Horse is pleased to announce that the acclaimed murder mystery series Rex Mundy will be coming from Image to Dark Horse this fall. Rex Mundy is the quest for the Holy Grail told as a tale of sin, murder, and redemption in an alternate history Europe where magic is real and the Catholic Church never lost its grip on power. Current Rex Mundy publisher Image will continue the series up through issue number 18 with the first Dark Horse issue arriving in August. A Rex Mundy feature film is in the works through Dark Horse Entertainment. Tokyo Pop and HarperCollins set to partner. Tokyo Pop and HarperCollins jointly announced that the two companies have formed a co-publishing agreement which will see the HarperCollins young adult and middle grade novels turned into manga, as well as hardcover selling and distributing the entire Tokyo Pop line in North America. As of mid-June, HarperCollins will begin selling and distributing all Tokyo Pop books to the North American trade book market. All back office functions, including customer service, warehousing, billing, and credit will be performed by HarperCollins. More Tokyo Pop news. 
Tokyopop, the number one publisher of manga in the U.S., has teamed with Uclick, a leader in mobile entertainment, to bring Tokyopop mobile manga to mobile phone users worldwide. This unique, downloadable manga application plays Tokyopop manga titles in their original multi-panel format on mobile phones. Rainer to join Galactica Crew Dynamite Entertainment announced that artist Nigel Rayner will be joining writer Greg Pak on an all-new Battlestar Galactica comic book series. Also set to join the group are cover artists Steve McNiven and Michael Turner, with more to be announced soon. May Listings from Alias Comics Alias Comics announced their May 2006 lineup, including the continuing adventures of Hyperactives and the debut of Blue Water Studios' new series, The Blackbeard Legacy. This month, Alias Comics offers 160 pages of Armor Quest, collecting the issues number 1 through 6 for readers for an unimaginable price of $3.50. Go to AroundComics.com for the full list of Alias Comics titles. Roy Thomas returns to Red Sonja. With Dynamite back on track with the monthly Red Sonja comic book series and both the Red Sonja one-shots having sold out, the company has released images and information on a trio of Red Sonja comics and collectibles shipping to stores in June. Leading the way is a one-shot featuring Roy Thomas's return to Red Sonja. V for Vendetta is tops in bookstores. Alan Moore and David Lloyd's V for Vendetta graphic novel topped the book scan list of graphic novels sold in bookstores for the week ending March 19th. Alan Moore's Watchmen graphic novel also came in at a robust number 23 on the book scan list this week. It was the only other non-manga title in the top 45 sellers. Retro Rocket to the Rescue Flying in under the radar in a devastating sneak attack, Image Comics' new series Retro Rocket, written by industry veteran Tony Bedard and illustrated by Jason Orfalis, has captured the hearts of readers and critics who wrote it off as just another American manga. Retro Rocket No. 1 is a 32-page color comic on sale now, and Retro Rocket No. 2 is available for advanced reorder and will be in stores in April. Subsequent issues are available for pre-order through Diamond Previews. Star Wars Legacy to offer a 25-cent issue. More than 100 years have passed since the events in Return of the Jedi and the days of the New Jedi Order. There is a new evil gripping the galaxy, shattering a resurgent empire and seeking to destroy the last of the Jedi. Even as their power is failing, the Jedi hold on to one final hope, the last remaining heir to the Skywalker legacy. Star Wars Legacy Number 0 features a story by John Ostrander and Jan Dersema, with art by Dersema and Sean Cook. The special issue arrives on May 17th and will retail for only... Only 25 cents. Now you can vote on hero clicks. Some people collect them simply for the figures, others for tools to the game, but no matter the reason, one thing is clear Hero Clicks collector sets are a popular commodity. These sets, produced by WizKids and voted on by the fans, allow collectors and players to get their hands on some of their favorite characters who might not otherwise appear in Hero Clicks releases. This year's nominated titles include Mike Mignola's BPRD and Matt Wagner's Grendel. The other titles in competition are Wildstorm's Astro City, DC's Metal Men, and Marvel's 2099. Go to AroundComics.com to learn more about this story and how you can vote. 
These have been your top stories for the week of March 27, 2006. For the full version of these and other stories, go to AroundComics.com, your source for the best in comics, news, reviews, and opinions. All right, and that's this week's news. Uh, let's start at the top. Johnny Repeat to uh, kick off with Revolution Comics. Um, any thoughts on Johnny Repeat? Interested? Dave? Wacker? Uh, yeah, sounds interesting. <laughs> That's all I can say. Uh, I'll definitely, if they're going to, I'll be at San Diego. I'll go check it out. I, I just love the, the line a sprawling mystery woven into an intense human drama packaged into a nonlinear narrative. It's That took me a long time to untie that for my time. So, sounds interesting. Sal, you going to pick up Johnny Repeat? Uh, it might be something I'd be interested in, yeah. I, I like the idea of the, uh, or the concept of it, um, remembering everything, or going into your past and remembering everything. If you'd change things, I know there's some stuff in my past I'd probably change. Sure, it's a it's it's a common theme and, and something I think a lot of people talk about. It's interesting that they're going to watch this title at uh, at uh, San Diego Comic Con. It, it seems like that's starting to be a uh, a model that a lot of people before it goes to general shelves they will watch it at a convention. So, well, especially uh, that one. I mean, that's like the you know the, like Dave was saying. That's where you're trying to option something. That's that's the place to go. So. Sure. Uh, Brian Wood, this guy is one of the favorites of the show. Uh, I know that uh, that Sal and I read local and DMZ and supermarket and for a demo and just about anything else that we can get our hands on. And I, I couldn't be happier that an artist like Brian Wood is getting some serious, serious success. Now, what uh, caught my attention out of this story was that they sold out a supermarket despite the uh, the fact that they had already done a 30% over the initial print run. So it's not like they're underrunning this and selling out. Um, David Price, have you, have you read Supermarket yet? No, I have not. It is good stuff. Sal, um, are you a fan of the book right now? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't pick up the second issue yet, and hopefully I will be able to, but um, but I did read the first one and, and, and liked it a lot. It was nothing what I expected, really, but, um, you know, I, I'm a huge Brian Wood fan, and I think that he's one of the best indie guys out there right now. His his story writing ability is, is pretty impressive, and, and his uh, ability to, to do different things, you know, he's very versatile, too, so um, good for him. Yeah, uh, Dave. We've talked about it. What would be the the one uh, term that you would say about supermarket too? Camel toe, <laughs> <laughs> Swedish camel toe. It was uh, yeah. It was, hello. <laughs> you you just have to read issue two to know what we're talking about. Uh, so so uh, good work by Brian Wood, and we we're yep. looking forward to seeing more camel toe. Um, <laughs> Planet Comic Con canceled. As we uh, ended our talk about uh, conventions, this is uh, uh, an annual convention in Kansas City that lost its booth space, but will be back in uh, March of 2007. And uh, I think that that shows how competitive a lot of the uh, 
uh, convention scene has gotten as far as reserving space. Uh, now, David Price, I know that you're from New York, and you you did not go to the New York Comic Con, but some of the horror stories out of that that uh, that came from them not being able to reserve the entire convention for. Um, any thoughts on that? The um, it, it since I I'm not privy to the the uh, the business side of it, it it did strike me strange that the convention itself was was going to be held in in the lower level uh, for New York and and not the main floor, which would have would have would have been more than sufficient for everybody that wanted to be there and and for the exhibitors as well as the uh, the fans. Um, it 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 does bum me out whenever. Any any convention isn't isn't coming back. Like recently, Wizard World with Boston. I, I I don't since I'm complaining about having the travel to go to one. Um, you know, to have one in your own backyard that that you can't go to is is it's it's not good. Well, there there are a lot of conventions out there, but the big ones are a little bit far, you know, far and few between. And and I hope that New York is able to to rebound after this year. I heard it was a great convention. It's just they didn't have enough space. So we'll right. see what happens with that. And then with Wizard World Boston, which you know had you know lukewarm results. Uh, we'll move on to uh, Hawaiian Dick announcer or a director announced. And and I will tell you that the uh, the hardest part of uh, of that part of the new story was saying that Johnny Knoxville was at one point attached to Hawaiian Dick. Oh, I think I think that actually wouldn't be a bad choice for that book. Have you read Hawaiian Dick? I, uh, no, I, no, I haven't. But but just when I read the uh, the press release, that sentence kind of caught me off guard, <laughs> and I had to stop from from chuckling to record that. Well, John, um, Johnny didn't do a good job. <laughs> well, I love that uh, B. Claymore is getting some stuff optioned. Uh, I know that you're a fan of Battle Him, and so am I. So I have not read Hawaiian Dick. Sal, did you like it? Yeah, I liked it a lot. I, I, I enjoyed that book uh, very much. It's, um, uh, you know, it, it's a Hawaiian detective story. The, the art is fantastic on it. It's strange. It, it goes off in a really bizarre, supernatural sort of way. Um, but but it was entertaining. It was a lot of fun to read, and, um, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of of, of B. Claymore stuff. He, he's a guy that we did not talk to at Wizard World Chicago last year. That I was really disappointed that we didn't. And uh, and uh, B. Clore, B. Clay, if you're listening, which I doubt if you are, we're going to be on the lookout for you this year. So get ready. Uh, Rex Mundy is moving from Image to Dark Horse. Are there any Rex Mundy readers out there? And silence <laughs> falls over the crowd. You know, I keep hearing good. I keep hearing really good things about that book, and I've heard it's it's excellent. I just haven't uh, had a chance to pick it up yet. But but that is something that I plan on trying because I have heard really good things about that book. Well, it's one that's on my list of to get, and I know my local comic shop, uh, Dark Tower, has it, and I'm probably going to pick it up this week. So hopefully I'll be able to give you a quick little review next week. Okay, um, Sal, this is one that I know that you wanted to talk about. It is the Tokyo Pop Harper Collins Partnership. Uh, run that down for us a little bit and give us your thoughts on how important this partnership is. Well, for Tokyo Pop, it's a it's a huge move. I mean, basically, what they're doing is is HarperCollins is licensing Tokyo Pop um, various 
books, and these are best-selling young, generally young women's novels. Um, uh, I, I I know, uh, I think some of the titles, and I don't know if they've been announced yet, but I, I'm thinking along the lines of Sisterhood of uh, of the uh, Traveling Pants and that kind of stuff. I mean, so huge built-in audience of these best-selling young women's novels. They're going to license those to Tokyo Pop to recreate those stories as manga, and then Harper Collins is going to take the manga and publish and uh, sell those for Tokyo Pop. So I mean, that's that's a huge partnership for them. I mean, it could potentially be an enormous windfall of business and hopefully new readers for them because. Uh, you're taking the, you know, what are already best-selling novels and 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 using the power behind that. So, I think it's a great move for them to do. I mean, uh, I'm not probably going to read any of the stuff they produce, but what they are producing is more than likely going to to, to have a great chance of selling well because it already has a built-in audience. And I, and I was on the. Um, Warren Ellis message board when this story kind of broke and he had had brought it up and, and thought it was a huge deal and, and it is and I put out the question of well you know how come nobody has done this with like um, Harry Potter you would think it would make a you know a perfect um, property to do this sort of thing with and and I guess you know it all depends on the author because uh, J.K. Rowling is not a fan of the comic book medium so she she won't allow it to be licensed for comic books, at least to this point. I guess she she can sell it, you know, on any other damn thing, but comics aren't worthy of it. Well, eventually there there will be a big enough check that that will happen. I I, I hope because you know, like you said, there's a huge built-in teen girl market in the Harper Collins uh, properties. You know. Taken, you know, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and turning it into a manga. Manga's already proven that it can appeal to the teenage girl market, so I see this as a huge deal. Uh, well, Dave Wachter, you ha- you, do you have any opinions on, on this deal? Manga. <laughs> well, I was going to say, one of the things I was going to say, though, too, is that it, it, this could actually be big enough where, you know, Tokyo Pop could be selling this manga in Japan. As opposed to the other way around. Well, yeah. well, good because because then maybe we'll see how Japanese translates from English. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> enjoy that. Uh, let's let's move on to a little bit more Tokyo Pop uh, news. They are launching their UClick is the company they're partnering with to have downloadable manga to your cell phone. Um, David Price, uh, I don't know if you're a manga fan, but if you could download comics to your mobile phone, is that anything that interests you? Anything I can download to my mobile phone is of no interest to me. I, <laughs> I, I use my phone as that. My, my phone has a camera and I can play games on it, but all I do is talk to people on it when I'm in my car. Wait, you mean you use it as a phone? As a phone, as what it was intended to do, yes. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm familiar with Euclid because they... Um, they they work with one of the uh, one of the comic uh, strip syndicates. I don't know if it's King Features, but uh, Uclick brings me Foxtrot every day to my mailbox. If I could get it in my email, I'd be all over it. Uh, Sal, you in, any interest in downloadable comic books, manga or otherwise, to your cell phone? Not to my cell phone. I don't see. I mean, 
the screen's so small on cell phones. I don't see how I, I'm going to read a comic book on it. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I could see maybe you could do like single panel comics, you know, cartoons on it or something. But I don't even see how you would read it on a on a phone, unless that's not the purpose of it. I mean, is it download it to your phone and then plug that into your computer and read it? Because I just don't see really the point of trying to read a comic book on your cell phone. Yeah, the only thing is I, I just see the commuter market. You know, being here in Chicago, I know that there's enough people on the trains that are just begging for ways to distract them while they're on the train. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll jump over to the V for Vendetta story. This kind of ties in to what we're talking about with manga, which it seems like manga is a part of every week's news. V for Vendetta actually topped the book scan sales in March through bookstores. Now, this doesn't take into account what V for Vendetta sold in local comic shops or through online orders, but I think it's it's pretty important to note that V for Vendetta and Watchmen were the only two quote-unquote comic book graphic novels that topped the, the top 45 list on BookScan. Um, Dave Wachter, um, V for Vendetta being top in BookScan? Uh, I'm all for it. Uh, the more American comics you can get in there over the manga, I'm happy to see it. And to tell you the truth, the more I hear that these were the only two things that weren't manga and were in the top 45 just depresses the hell out of me. It really does. Well, it's, it, <laughs> it, it, it's, I don't want to say, it's not us against manga, but. I'm just fighting the future here. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to fight the future. <laughs> David Price, um, have you picked up your uh, V for Vendetta trade paperback yet? I have not picked up the, the trade. I I remember reading issues two and three when Vertigo first put them out years ago after uh, after they were released in in the UK, and it's it's a story that's on my um, uh, on my get to list. I just haven't gotten it yet. Well, here's a question for you. I know that it was the top in book scan, but if you were going to buy a trade, do you buy them from Barnes & Noble or Walden Books or Borders? Where do you buy your trade paperbacks from? I will either... I'll, I'll, give, the, I'll give the business to my local <laughs> comic shop first. Good. Um, if I... I've, I've, I have bought a few um, from uh, in-stock trades because the price was great. And um, and I, I I will occasionally if I'm in Barnes and Noble with with Renee or, or looking for something, I'm I'm just I'm not real keen on on buying something at cover price, especially a trade. So if I get some sort of discount, I might if I'm there if it's convenient for me. But for the most part, I'll I'll go to the comic shop first or online. Well, I think that you're with a lot of comic fans, and that shows me that the sale, with them being number one at BookScan, shows me that a lot of non-comic book fans, hopefully, have been buying this at at the the books at the bookstores as opposed to the local comic shops. Um, let's uh, let's jump over to the story about uh, the Battlestar Galactica comic book. I know I've got at least you know two people here that are Battlestar Galactica fans and myself and Dave Wachter. Um, Sal, are, are you interested in any of the TV properties coming over into the comic books world? Is that any sort of a draw for you? Not really. I've never been... Any of that licensed property stuff, I've never really been uh, a huge fan of. I mean, I've always, you know, 
I'm a huge, you know, huge Star Wars fan, but I've never really read any of the comics. I've read some, but not many. Um, TV show stuff just doesn't really interest me. I mean, it's a TV show. How, you know, what does it really need a comic book also about it? I don't it's know. not just a TV show. It's the best TV show on. Well, I <laughs> would argue that all day and night, but um, even if it was the best TV show on... I think I would just watch the TV show. The licensed property stuff, I've never really seen very good ones. Um, I don't know if that's because I mean, they're it, it looks so like much. they've got some pretty good talent on this. It's Greg Pak is writing it, and that gives me some hope that they're actually putting a little bit of an onus on the quality of this. Um, Dave Wachter, um, yeah. your thoughts on Battlestar Galactica and what you think it's going to be as a comic? Any uh, you know, usually for I'm usually with Sal on this, but on this one, I mean, this is Battlestar Galactica. I think right now is the kind of thing that could really translate over better than say like the CSI series or something like that. I, well, the problem I have with a lot of these things is the way they're handled. Uh, you get um, that they're always trying to uh, either try to repeat exactly what was on television or do something that's totally, totally just doesn't even fit with the with the show, um, I don't want to see the exact same story told that I can watch on the television show, and I also don't want to see people trying to make every character look exactly like the actor that's on the show, and that's one of the things I just can't stand as far as the art goes on so many of these things, is that they're so busy, you can tell the guy is just sitting there pausing the show, drawing the guy, and it comes off stiff and forced, and I think if they can take it and they can say, this is a comic, this is its own thing. Let's not be tied down to the show, but let's also be true to the show. Then, uh, as far as Battlestar Galactic goes, I think there's enough material there that it could really be something good. I hope so. And as far as the licensing goes, the only one that I have read that I enjoy is any of the Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, or Angel. They actually did a pretty good job of spinning that off of the show and continuing the show from there. Uh, let's move on to uh, Alias Comics. Uh, I think the most notable thing in this story is that they're going to be offering Armor Quest, which is a 160-page trade, but it's not going to be $9.99. It's not going to be $14.99. They're offering at $3.50. Um, Sal, do you think this is a direct answer to manga? And, and I don't want to fixate on that, but to start to see comic companies offering larger collections at discount prices, do you think that is kind of the, uh, the reason that they're doing that? Well, I, you know, I think... They're they're trying to find new ways to, to get things out there and, and you know make a name, uh, especially the smaller kind of companies. They have to try and compete. Um, so you know this is one way to do that. I don't know if it's necessarily to try and compete with manga necessarily because it's going to be one. It's sort of a one shot deal. You know what I mean? They're not going to keep coming out with you know eighteen volumes of this story at three dollars and fifty cents each. Yeah, they're using it as a marketing tool. You know, it it actually, uh, in conjunction with this, there was another story that came up late in the week um, that I wanted to bring up, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Um, it was uh, AIT Planet Lar. Uh, there was a new graphic novel they're coming out with called Con uh, Continuity, and they are selling it. I think it's coming out uh, in June. Um, 
but they put out a PDF of the entire thing online that you can download and read the entire thing um, months before it'll be published. Which I what, found what, what, what's it called again? It's called Continuity. Did Joe Q like dismiss it as not important? Uh, <laughs> Joe, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um. So it's interesting to see these companies trying different things. I'm, I'm glad that people are trying different ways of getting things in front of you, uh, in front of readers to try and, you know, because I, I downloaded the PDF and I started reading it and I'll probably finish reading it, or I, I may not finish reading it, but it may lead me to go buy the, the, the paper, you know, trade. Um, if it's good, if it's something I'm interested in, I probably would go buy it, even though I have a PDF of it. So, you know, both of these things, you know, for three, $3.50, hey, I'll pick it up. You know, it's, it's six issues, uh, for three fifty. How bad could it be? You know, if I, if I like it, great. It, it introduced me into a new series. If I don't like it, it only cost me three fifty. And um, if you don't like it, but you know someone that does, it's three fifty. It's not like you have a bunch of skin in the game, and you can give it to someone that you think will like it. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, it's it's the cost of one comic, almost anywhere else. How, how sad is that? Yeah. You know. <laughs> okay, uh, Roy Thomas makes his return to Red Sonia. Uh, any Red Sonia fans in the house? Um, Once again, there's the crickets. <laughs> Where's the cricket noise when we need it? It'll be interesting to see if uh, Mike Oming is writing this because I did like Oming's initial run on Red Sonia. So I'll have to find out who the creator is uh, or uh, who the writer is. We'll we'll report back on that next week once we take a look at it. Um, Does this Red Sonia series have any ties to, to the Marvel Red Sonia series from years ago? I honestly have no idea. Was Roy Thomas on Red Sonia? Not literally. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Frank. In, let him. In, in Marvel's run, um, I, I'm not. I'm not a huge Red Sonia fan. No, neither am I. I know it was around the time when I believe Roy Thomas was working for Marvel. I don't know if he was editor in chief or if he was just a writer, but it, it, it is. It does date back that far. That well, could we'll, be. That we'll, could we'll have been it. then the connection there that he was. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I guess that's our job as as hack journalists that we'll find out when Roy Thomas worked on uh, on Red Sonia, and we'll we'll report back on that. Um, retro, retro Rocket, um, another new series, and um, not not to beat the the manga horse to death, which we have a tendency to do. Um, what caught me on this story is that people had written it off as yet another American manga, and it, it was kind of a scary sentence in that people are actually generalizing some American comics as manga, uh, just because this is you know a big robot you know type comic book even though it sounds like it's a little bit more than that so anybody interested in checking out retro rocket yeah you know looking at the cover i probably wouldn't have been but reading the little tagline about it and, and what the story is actually about it's right up my alley i i, I like uh, the idea of it so um i'll probably check it out but i could certainly see where people you know i'm not really a manga fan i'm not you know in into giant robots necessarily but um this one actually sounds pretty interesting well speaking of picking things up on a whim looks like uh star wars legacy number zero is going to be out there for a quarter uh david price would you would you drop two bits on a star wars comic well seeing as i i was also suckered into uh 
buying the Detective Comics dime issue and um, and and also the Fantastic Four for for less than a dime, although that that was a good story. I probably would give this a shot. Dave Wacker, are you going to pick up uh, Star Wars Legacy? Uh, probably not. I mean, I don't know. It's a quarter. If it's sitting there on the counter, I might throw it in the bag. Just to check it out. Yeah, see if maybe there's enough in cover on it. Um, <laughs> Sal, are you going to pick it up for a quarter? Well, yeah, you know, I probably will only because John uh, Ostrander is writing it, and mm-hmm. I think he does space stuff great, so it might actually be be really interesting to check out what he does in the Star Wars world. Even though I, I, I know that's that's one of the things that, that you harp on about space stories is that everybody draws it the same. It always kind of seems like it's the same story. So um, I know that you look at, at space stories with a little bit different eye than some folks. Yeah, I, you know, it, it, there's a certain detachment in it also. I mean, a lot of times it's hard to care about characters that are, you know, ten light years away or whatever. Um, and on an alien planet, and I think sometimes writers try and make things too alien, um, where it's actually hard to understand. I mean, everything. I, I was talking about this before. Everything has to have a strange name. You know, you're not speaking an alien language yet. Every every common, you know, household device has a strange name because you're trying to write a space book, and it just doesn't seem to make any sense. Concentrate on writing a good story, regardless of the setting. Uh, I think that as as you and I have gotten older, you know, both, and, you know, hopefully we've gotten more mature, uh, but I think that we like stories that are a little bit more grounded, you know, on the streets, that kind of stuff. And I think that, that both Daves are kind of in that vein. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Now, the next story is one that I think that Sal put in the news just to make fun of me because he knows <laughs> that I'm a huge Heroclix geek. Um now, David Price, I happen to know that you are a huge Matt Wagner fan and a big fan of Grendel. Are you excited that there may be, you know, soon a Hero Clicks Grendel? Seeing that this would be my first purchase from WizKids would be for these Hero Clicks. Yeah, I think I, I, I could be moved to that. I, I'm excited. One of the things that's interesting about the collector sets is that uh, uh, one, the one that just got announced uh, a couple months ago was Invincible. And it was put up on the Robert Kirkman forum that he was imploring all of his fans to go to WizKids and vote for Invincibles as a collector set. And it totally swung the vote, and in the Hero Clicks community, it was not even close to being the one that that most of the Hero Clicks players wanted to be voted in. But because Robert Kirkman swung all of his listeners over to vote for it, it, it kind of won in what what I you know think is a, a major landslide. So it'll be interesting to see if like Mike Mignola gets active and and posts on like the Hell, Hellboy forums to go vote for BPRD. So. And no one else cares except for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. I uh, uh, I think they're kind of neat. Um, little, you know, the little plastic statues of, of all these characters. But yeah, I, I don't have enough time in in my life to, to play that game. So well, I need more tchotchkes on my desk. So yeah, well, same I, I, 
I supply Sal. Uh, Sal and I work together, and and most of the you know not most all of the hero clicks on his desk are you know provided by me. You know, my, my Sundays just to give you a look into my sad life is that I usually wake up on Sundays and you know read the Sunday paper with my girlfriend, and then I go to the comic <laughs> girlfriend. shop. Girlfriend, he doesn't like, have a girlfriend. He's I have. <laughs> who do you think records those bumpers? I've got proof. But the, you know, I go to the comic shop at like one o'clock in the afternoon. I play hero clicks from like one to like literally four forty-five. Run home to record the podcast for two hours, and that's like my uber geek day. So yeah, I, I'm excited about the hero clicks collector set. But uh, uh, I'm going to get off this before people really start to think I'm as big a geek as I am. Let's uh, let's get into our top of the stack. Top top of the top stack. Of the stack. The stack. The stack. That's right. It's top of the stack. It is our chance to tell you about uh, one or more of the comics that we have read in the last week that we would like to pass along and suggest to you. Uh, Sal, what was your top of the stack this week? My top of the stack this week was the uh, Captain America 65th Anniversary Special, written by Ed Brubaker, uh, with art by Javier Pulido, Marcos Martin, Mike Perkins and Frank Diarmada. Um, it's a throwback story of uh, featuring Cap and Bucky and also Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos. It's set in uh, 1944, uh, World War II, obviously, and uh, this group of, of Commandos is jumping into uh, behind enemy lines, uh, trying to stop um, the Red Skull from unearthing some sort of mysterious object. It's, it could easily have been a very typical one of these issues where they're kind of throwaway stories that don't mean anything. You see them a lot of times in, in the annuals and the double-sized specials and stuff like that. Uh, but I gotta, I have to say, I, I'm a huge Ed Brubaker fan. I love what he's doing with um, Cap uh, and Daredevil, and I can't wait to see his X-Men stuff, and, and I, I loved his sleeper stuff. But I have to say, this book may have impressed me more than anything I've ever seen him do as far as showing me the quality of writer he really is. Um, after reading this issue, and maybe it's just me, but I really think he uh, he could be writing anything. Um, in in this story, there's uh, it, it's, a, it's basically six chapters, and like I said, it's, it's a pretty typical, you know, sort of World War II story. They're behind enemy lines and, and that kind of thing, but woven into it is also a little bit of a, a, a romance story between Bucky and this um, anti-Nazi revolutionist woman that they meet um, and and this short little sort of love story that he writes in here between these two characters is as good as anything out of like Casablanca I mean it's just it perfectly set up and and a little cheesy but you know if, if you have if you are a bit of a romantic you, you'll probably enjoy it but the the thing that probably impressed me the most was at the end of the story there are six chapters at the end of it there's an epilogue and they they go back and take this entire story you just read and set it uh, not set it but make it relevant to today's Captain America um, I don't want to give anything away but basically the end the end of it. Um, it it, it weaves it back to what's going on with Cap today and foreshadows his future, which I thought was really impressive. Um, like I say, if you, if you read it, you'll understand what I'm talking about a bit more. 
But for for something like this, like I said, is usually kind of a throwaway issue. I was really really impressed with it. So that's my top of the stack. Great, looking forward to reading it. It's about two down, so hopefully I'll have it done by tonight. Uh, David Price, what is your top of the stack? Uh, the six issue, which concludes this week, uh, Batman and the Monster Men by Matt Wagner. Um, it's it's basically it's the first part of two six issue series Wagner is doing. Um, it's it's also titled Dark Moon Rising. Um, this this arc features um, it's Wagner says that it's basically Batman Year One Point Five. He's still he he's still fairly fairly new to the game. Um, this is his first time going up against. Um, supernatural beings he's he's not beating up mobsters or thugs he's beating up uh, basically monster men they're uh, they're they're mutated humans um, brought to you by professor hugo strange it's basically i guess it is their first it's batman and professor strange's uh, first first meeting um, the 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 art's great the the story is is not if you like if anybody remembers reading Faces from Legends of the Dark Knight from probably about at least ten years ago, it's 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 along that vein. It's it's Magner. Wagner is is great at drawing Batman, at drawing Gotham City. He's it's probably the best character Wagner can work on that's not created by Wagner. Um, like I said it, it, it concludes this week. The the first six issues are almost done. I do not know when the uh, when the follow up will come out, but uh, I'll be there regardless. Uh, but it's, it's granted you're going to have your friends that, that if they like Batman they might pick it up, but it's it's not your typical Batman story and it, it it's really well done. Great. It's, I love that uh, there's a lot of the offshoot Batman stories that are getting picked as top of the stack, that and Batman Year 100. So it, it's nice that those uh, kind of splinter stories are at the high quality they are. So I hadn't been interested in picking it up. So, you know, on your recommendation, I probably will. And that's what top of the stack is all about. Uh, Dave Wachter, what is your top of the stack? Uh, yes, this week I chose The American Way, issue number two uh, of an eight-issue uh, limited series. It comes from uh, Wildstorm, their signature series line, and it's essentially about uh, a group, an iconic group of superheroes who are actually government funded. Uh, it takes place in the early 60s, and the group has actually been designed as a propaganda tool in order to bring uh, basically hope and confidence to the American people uh, in the turbulent times that are that are the 60s. And uh, what we get to actually center around is a former car, car salesman who is hired. Um, well, he's not a car salesman; he's a car company pitch man, I should say. Uh, and that he would design the whole pitches for a large car company. And now he's been hired to basically direct the publicity of this uh, government-funded propaganda supergroup. And in the the first issue was mostly a lot of action and a lot of setup of what was going on. In the second issue, we delve into the background and really the mechanics of of how the whole thing happens and how it really works. And we also get to see the creation of a new hero to be added to the ranks and the controversy that comes along with that. 
Um, it's written by John Ridley, who is uh, a Hollywood screenwriter, and the pencils are by uh, George Janti. I'm guessing on that. It looks like a French name, so I'm guessing with a French pronunciation. Uh, he's uh, he's done a lot of work. He did some notably with Marvel. He did the Gambit miniseries and uh, Bishop, the the last X Man. Um, also, it has inks uh, by Carl Story and Ray Snyder. And Rob Lee does the letter. A colorist is Wildstorm FX. So um, it's really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it. The second issue was even more powerful than the first. It's really delving into some very interesting issues. Of course, it's set in the early '60s, and I, I like the um, the way they're using the time period and what's going on there. The art is solid. Um, He's uh, clearly got an Alan Davis influence, but he's not a copycat, so it's it's just very well done, and I'm really enjoying this book, and I can't wait to see where the story goes from here. Uh, Sal or David Price, have you picked up The American Way? No, but I will now. I, I did read the first issue. Um, I hadn't picked up the second one yet. Um, I, I did like it. I The first issue it kind of I mean, it was good, but it, it I don't know, it, something about it um, felt uh, done before, and maybe that was just me, I don't know. But well, we'll, we'll just say, and I'll, I'll, I'll look at Dave here, the second issue gets darker. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, oh. And, and so just, just pick it up, and, and you'll know what we mean. But I, I, I enjoy American Way. I think it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the story plays out. I, I love the idea of the main character being out of the group, being a marketing person. If anyone liked the Christopher Priest run on Black Panther, uh, there's some comparisons in there that, you know, kind of the main character in Black Panther was actually a a government uh, employee that had to work alongside Black Panther. And if you enjoyed that kind of, you know, angle for a story, American Way is, is pretty interesting. Uh, my top... Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> oh, okay. My top of the stack this week is uh, Queen and Country number twenty nine. Uh, Queen and Country twenty nine picks up uh, almost uh, a year after uh, number twenty eight. Greg Rucka had gone on you know hiatus from the comic books to write two novelizations of uh, the Queen and Country uh, franchise. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, I'll tell you that writer Greg Rucka and several artists have combined to create a series that uh, it, it looks into the darkest corners of the British Ministry of Intelligence. Queen of Country is an ongoing story about people that guard the walls of society and all the sacrifices that they have to make for our safety. Uh, now, all the characters in Queen of Country are flawed and realistic. And, you know, for those who say that there aren't enough strong female lead characters in comics, you need to look no further than Tara Chase. She's a strong, independent, and at times reckless and misguided character, but she's always a hero. Uh, she has to be um, in her job because her job is who she is, no matter, you know, at certain times whether she wants it to be or not. Now, the stories in Queen and Country are meticulously researched. They've got plots that are as real as the evening news. Uh, Ruck is 
uh, whole world of characters are people that you can care about, you can root for them, or you can despise them. If you like espionage mixed with politics, action, and human triumph and tragedy, Queen of the Country is your book. And uh, and Sal will accuse me of like getting paybacks from Greg Rucka because I love this book so much. And I told a few people on the forum that I was going to go on a little bit of a rant this week. And you know, I go to my comic shop every um, every Wednesday and help sort through all the the diamond shipments. And as I'm pulling out, you know, like you know, 45 issues of this and 60 issues of that and and 20 issues of another comic, you know, I get to Queen of the Country. I've been waiting for issue 29 to come out for for months after the second novel um, was released. And my comic shop, which carries a lot of comics they move a lot of comics they had three copies of queen and country and i looked at my, my at mark my manager of the of the local comic shop i was like dude you got to tell me there's more copies of this he's like no nah, it's it's you another guy and i put one on the shelves so this this book it's not like it's being written by a hack writer greg rucka is an amazing writer Chris Samney is doing the art on this book now. So if you've read Capote in Kansas, which was written by Andy Parks, great novel, awesome art. Please check out Queen and Country. If you're an espionage fan at all, this book deserves your attention. So that is my top of the stack this week. My goodness. <laughs> I, I hope you've gotten that out of your system now. The whole I queen love and country. Just, uh, hey, I like. I, I've been reading it in trades. I haven't been picking up the uh, the single issues. I've been I've been reading it in trades, and and it is extremely good. I, I can't deny. It. I do like uh, that book a lot. But I think you know, and we talked about this. I think one of the things that hurt that book is that he stopped writing the book and wrote two novels. That you sort of, you know, are forced to read in order to continue the story. I understand the guy is a writer and and he wanted to write books, but I don't necessarily want to read two novels about that comic book to have to keep up with the story. So I think it might have hurt it a bit to to take a year off and and then come back because, you know, when I come back to it, am I going to know what's going on? Am I, you know, how much have I missed? And then. I sort of feel feel like I I'm strong armed a bit into having to read two you know novels about uh, Queen and Country. Well, the novels were great, and I think that you'll be able to catch up if you don't read the novels. I think you'll catch up in the series pretty quickly, you know. But if you like Greg Ruck, I mean, this book is his passion. He he pours himself into the series, and. I, I think that he, because it's his creator-owned creator book, that he felt like if he was going to tell the story that he wanted to, he needed to write these two novels and put the put the comics on hiatus. Um, for integrity of the creation, that's great. I'm glad he did it. I understand that you couldn't do that with most other books. It's like you know, DC is never going to put Batman Batman on hold so someone could write a novel to bridge two stories together, but it, it really is a great book, so and, you know, I, I hope if you know, once again, it's not for everyone, it's not a superhero book, but if you're an espionage fan, think of it as you know, like the best of Ian Fleming mixed with Tom Clancy, and it's 
It's really a great series. So, you know, that Sal, that will be the last time that Queen and Country is my top of the stack, I promise. <laughs> I doubt it. This episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sal, do you, uh, do you have any announcements for us? Um, I just did want to say we, we redesigned the website um, recently, so, you know, go take a look at it, see if, if there's anything there uh, you want us to change about it or anything. Um uh, other than that, no, I, I don't think I have any other announcements. Well, we had a uh, we had one of our real good friends of the show today put a thread on our forum about voting at Podcast Alley. Who could that have been? Hmm. That? Hmm. <laughs> David, thank thank you very much. We appreciate it. I uh, forget at the at the beginning of the month, um, but. Uh, Please go to Podcast Alley. There's a link on our forum for it. Please vote for our other friends, uh, Comic Geek Speak and uh, Comics Cast, our good buddy uh, Bruce R. Uh, check out Maxim Glory's new podcast. It is the Pop Cult Online. Uh, one of uh, our regulars, Tom Caters, I believe, is going to be on a future episode of that. What? So there I thought we had him signed to an exclusive. Um, we, we basically said that he could be on any podcast except for Comic Geek Speak. Okay. So that's uh, no that that that's a joke, Brian and the guys. We we you you can have Tom for a day if you want. We just get him back later. Um, there are a lot of great comic podcasts uh, popping up out there. Uh, we appreciate you spending your time listening to Around Comics. We are going to continue to try and bring you the best in comics news, opinions, and reviews. Um, I believe that is it for this show. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dave Wachter. Thank you, David Price. And thank you, Brian Salazar, for everything that you do for the show. You guys have a great week, and we will see you next Monday with another episode of Around Comics. If you would like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com, or visit the Contact Us section of our website. For that, and the latest in comics news and opinions, go to www.aroundcomics.com. Music for this show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next week. With a panel will change, but our mission stays the same. Bringing you the best in discussion, news, and reviews in and around comics. <laughs> <laughs>